0: Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Welcome to church, everybody. We're doing okay today. Come on now. Goodness, look at all my friends. Good to see y'all today. Hey, my name's Jared. If I don't know you, uh, I'm grateful to be here bringing the word for the next several weeks and uh, what a team. Do we have a great team at River Bend Church or what? Is anybody grateful? What a team. We've got uh, a great group of leaders, great group of pastors, uh, great great staff here. So many are at Oakwood this morning and look at me within the first Forty seconds, Chris Guthrie. I'm remembering to say hello to Oakwood. Good to see you all in Oakwood, and uh, we have our pastor search team there this morning. I know I spoke with some of them, and and you all got to pray over our pastor search team there in Oakwood. And uh, thank you for for leaning into that. Thank you all for being there today, and we're we're honored to stand in this season and, and seek the Lord for His wisdom for what's next. And I want to encourage you all, wherever you are, whether you're a part of the search team, whether you're on staff, an elder, whether you've been here for four months or you've been here for 400 months, I don't know the math on that. Maybe some of y'all do. Chris Haynes knows the math on that, but he's in Oakwood, so he can't help me over here this morning. However long you've been here, I want to encourage you to lean in and pray and ask God to, to lead this church into the future in wisdom in understanding that he would give us spiritual insight into who he has in store for this place in the future. You know, he knows. He 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 sees all of it. He he's not surprised by this season and that's why we can stand here with confidence week in and week out continuing to look to him, preach his word, worship him because we know he's got it in control. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to lean into that and continue to pray for our leaders here, continue to pray for the teams that God has put in place. Uh, This week is going to be, uh, as we say where I'm from, a doozy. Anybody know that term? Uh, It's challenging. It's challenging for me. Uh, The more I, I get into this part of scripture, the more challenged I am. I just want to be honest with you. One of the things we're going to talk about today, and primarily what we're going to be talking about today, is generosity and giving, and it's uh, every pastor's first on the list of what we love to talk about. Right? If you were like me, you grew up in a place where you felt like every time that was talked about, you're you're being uh, convicted into submission to just give everything you got to the church because it's it's the Lord's work and that, that's not my heart today, I want you to know. But I do want to give you a heads up that that's where we're going. And uh, just so that we can start on a maybe a little lighter note, I found this story, and I wanted to share it with you before we get started. Is that okay if I share a quick story? So there was a man who called the church, and the, the man asked uh, the secretary on the other line, can I speak to the head hog at the trough? And the secretary said, excuse me, sir, who do you want to speak to? And he said, oh, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. And the secretary said, sir, if you're talking about the pastor, you need to refer to him with a little more respect. You certainly cannot call him the head hog at the trough. He is pastor or reverend. Do you want to try that again, sir? And after just a moment on the phone, the man came back and said, oh, okay, I see, I see. Uh, I just wanted to speak with him and tell him that I had $10,000 that I wanted to donate to the building fund. And the secretary quickly replied, hold the line. I think the big pig just walked in the door. (laughs) We've been studying the early church, and we've been studying what The distinct marks of the early church was and we're we're looking now through that lens and we're looking at how we do church and we're trying to understand the way that we are to be healthy here in line with scripture and we know that in in Bible times they were dealing with much different circumstances and it's not the same as it is today but we also know that there are many things for us to see here and take away and listen to that will impact the way that we see and do church and see see and love one another around us because the early church was was amazing. And this week we're going to be digging into three specific marks of the early church, their generosity, their love, and their unity. The end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5 is is a very interesting part of Scripture. We're going to see sort of two ends of the spectrum today. At the end of Acts chapter 4, we're going to see a beautiful example of sacrificial unity and generosity and love. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we're going to see the opposite. We're actually going to see the first sin ever recorded in the early church, and we're going to see God deal very swiftly with that sin. But it all boils down today to one question, one primary question that I want you to ask, that I'm asking myself, that I think we as Riverbend Church need to be asking as well. Who is in the first place? Who's in the first place? Who's in the first place of your heart, of your mind? Who's in the first place of this church? Who is it? Who have we put in the place of what the Bible calls preeminence? Which really is a big fancy word for first. The end of chapter four, we're going to see what happens when God is first. And the beginning of chapter five, we're going to see what happens when God is not first. If you'll let me boil it down to that, I think it will be helpful for us. And at the end of our time together this morning, I hope that you'll see. This is my hope for our time. I'm going to tell you all my secrets up front that's okay I gave you my only joke and now I'm giving you all my secrets so here we are I hope that by the end of our time you will see that when God is first unity is strong generosity is joyful and love is natural let's get into the word together Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 32 what a beautiful part of scripture this is are you ready You ready? I'm reading from the ESV. If you're not, that's okay. But I just want you to know, this is the ESV. So if you're looking at the NLT or the NIV and it's a little different, that's why, okay? Thank you, Miss BJ. I can't see you, but that was for you. Is she in here? She was out there holding the door. Yeah, she don't want to throw her hand up. I see you. Thank you for all you do, Miss BJ. Are we ready? Acts chapter four, verse 32. Now the full number of those Who believed were of one heart and one soul. Unity, one. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him or her was his or her own. But they had everything in common. That's an unbelievable verse one heart one soul they didn't look at anything that they had as if it was their own and they had everything in common what a picture of unity and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus this is the most important story in the history of the world the resurrection of the Lord Jesus thank you Preston for giving us for leading us in that way earlier The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is what they continually gave testimony to and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. If you underline things in your Bible, that would be an awesome thing to underline and think about later because it's unbelievable that there was not a needy person among them. Oakwood, I can't see your faces, but I would imagine that your minds are blown like mine was when I first read that. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they they were selling their property and they're bringing every bit of the proceeds to the Apostles' feet, and, and it was distributed to each as any had need. It's a remarkable sense of unity, of generosity, of love for one another. The first point for today that we're going to look at is when God is first, unity is strong. Unity is strong, the full number of them. All of them were of one heart and one soul. This is a big number, remember, because thousands upon thousands had been added to their number just in a few weeks here. And now we're not even counting anymore. We're just calling it the full number. St. Luke is just calling it the full number who believed were of one heart and soul. I can't even get my house of five on the same page. One heart. One soul. What is unifying them? What is bonding them together? How can unity be this? How can we have a similar unity here? Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer before he was executed. On the night that he was betrayed, he prayed in John chapter 17 that, that they may become perfectly one, who is they, the apostles and the believers, the early church? He's praying for Acts 4 that they would be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, Father, and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for what we're seeing here that they would be of one heart and of one soul, that their unity would be strong. Because God is first in their lives. Paul writes about this unity in the letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, my favorite chapter of Scripture, and I have 12 favorites, but this is my favorite. Verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there's any of these things, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind that is that is unity in a nutshell right there complete my joy by being unified and then he gets more practical in verse 3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit do nothing with yourself first do nothing with yourself at the top of the list. Do nothing out of ambition for you. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you not only look to his own interests. So, so by the way, you need to look to your own interests. That's what he's saying here. Like it is kind, I mean, don't totally forget about yourself. But not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. And as you're looking after the interests of others, count them more significant than you. This is the kind of unity that we see in the early church. This is the kind of unity that we could have here today as well if we put God in the first place rather than ourselves in the first place. Their unity was a product of that type of positioning They were so focused on serving one another because God was first that they had little time to serve themselves. They were so focused on advancing the mission because God was first that they had little time for personal things that mattered much less than his mission. The believers were obeying the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 Verse 32, when he said, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid to, to sell your possessions and give to the needy. Don't be afraid to be generous. Don't be afraid to because it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's, not only will God do it, he takes great delight in doing it. Fear not, Jesus said. Funny thing about obedience in God's economy is it becomes joyful for the child of God. It becomes joyful. It's not out of obligation that we serve one another, that we love one another, that we're generous towards one another. It's it's an overflow of. And it's joyful. Number two, when God is first, generosity is joyful. When God is first, generosity becomes joyful. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. (laughs) there was not a needy person what what's the result of their generosity because remember they're coming together they're selling their possessions they're not looking to their own interests but instead they're putting God first and looking after the interests of others so what was the result of this generosity the result is right there there was not a needy person among them imagine what a vision what a vision! I don't know that they cast that vision in front of their church of five thousand plus plus plus. What a vision! Our vision is that there would not be a needy person among us. It's a big vision. How do we accomplish that vision? We need more than five, six, seven, eight people doing eighty percent of the giving if we're going to accomplish that vision. I don't know the numbers, so don't, don't squirm on me. I actually don't know the numbers, so I got plausible deniability. But what I do know is usually 20% of the church does 80% of the giving. And in order for us to achieve some level of there's not a needy person among we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're looking out and we're seeing who's among us and we're looking out at our community and we're seeing people around us and we're, our, our goal is to help them in their need. It's going to take more than 20% of us. A few weeks ago, we saw in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 44... And all who believed were together and had all things in common, similar languages today, remember, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I find it interesting that in Acts chapter 2, Luke didn't say that there was not a needy person among them. He says that in chapter 4. Could it be that they were, they were developing this culture of generosity? They were developing this culture of overflow. They were developing this culture of obedience and now by the time we get to chapter 4 which is not that long later he says there's not a needy person they've been practicing it their culture's reflecting it this had become a characteristic of their fellowship that they were caring for the needs of each other And now in chapter 4 we see a miraculous, a mirac- make no mistake, this is a miracle that there was not a needy person among them. Because we as humans, we, we're, it's so natural for us to think about what we have and how we want to use it. God's performing a miracle in the early church right here when he's opening up their heart to be generous to one another. And generosity had become joyful. Number three, when God is first, love is natural. When God is first, love is natural. I I believe that the deeper your relationship with God in Christ, the more you will love people and the less you will love material things. This is how it goes. The more we fall in love with Jesus the more we turn our eyes upon, I love that we're singing that song today. The more that we turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim because he is first. And what begins to happen is we put other people before ourselves the way that Jesus did. The way that Jesus put us before himself the way that Jesus put us before his life the way that Jesus was obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross so that you and I could stand here today and have the forgiveness of sins if we've trusted in his name the more satisfied you are in God the less satisfied you will be with money The the more satisfied you are in God, the more in love you are with God, the less in love you will be with material things. The, the The more satisfied you are in God, the less satisfied you will be in substances and whatever else. Fill in the blank. The more satisfied you are in God, the more love will be a natural overflow to those around you. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12 to let love be genuine. Let it be genuine. How in the world do we let it be genuine? We we start by falling in love with him and allowing his love to flow through us. Let love be genuine. Abhor or detest is what that word means. What is evil? Detest it. Hold fast to what is good Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. But let it be genuine. Genuine. What is that word? That word means natural. That word means authentic. That word means overflow. Let it overflow by positioning him in the first place where his love can flow down and through you. 1 John 4, 10 is very clear about this. John writes, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love abides in us. His love overflows through us. If God lives in us, if God lives in us in the first place, His love will flow through you, and it will be made complete in you. When God is first, unity is strong, generosity is joyful, and love is natural. And then, and then it gets crazy in Acts chapter five. It gets crazy. At the beginning of chapter five, we have the first recorded instance of sin in church history. This is one of those stories that we preachers are tempted just to kind of skip over and find a way around, because it's hard. it's hard to understand, and it's, It takes work. But this is one of the clearest examples of God purifying His church. It's one of the clearest examples that we have of what happens when God is not in His rightful place. When we abuse that and we, we lie and become hypocrites. There was a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. They sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So remember, everybody's selling things and they're coming to the apostles' feet and they're giving it all away. This is what was happening and Ananias wants to be a part of that, but he doesn't want to give the entirety of what he earned, of what of what he sold and what he had. But he gave a portion of it as if the portion was everything. And Peter saw right through him by the power of the Holy Spirit and He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why has Satan filled your heart? You you have not, he goes on to say, you have not lied to man. You've lied to God. Imagine the concept of lying to God, like, We think we can do that, as if he doesn't see everything. Peter said, you've lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And Great fear came upon all who heard it. Just like that, done, like in front of everybody. Breathed his last. Great fear came upon... I think that's the most obvious verse in the Bible. Great fear came upon all of them. Yeah. Like I wasn't there and I'm feeling the fear right now. I don't know about you, my chest got tight when I read that. No, No joke. Great fear came upon all who heard of it and they went and buried him and Sapphira, his wife, wasn't there. And three hours later, the... Bible says she came to the fellowship she came to church and Peter asked her how much they sold the property for and gave her a chance to be honest gave her a chance to repent and she stayed true to the lie that they had created and when she agreed with her husband she immediately fell dead as well and in verse 11 of Acts chapter 5 the second most obvious verse in all of the Bible, and great fear fell upon them all. Luke twice says, "Great fear fell upon them all." What do we make of this? What do we what are we saying? What does that mean that God's just going to strike us down if we don't give enough? Does that mean that God's just going to strike us down if every time we do something? Wrong, like, what's underneath this? What does this mean? There are two main sins on display here, lying and hypocrisy. Like, Ananias is coming trying to pretend to give everything from the sale of his property, but he was really withholding some of the proceeds for it, for himself and, and lying in front of everyone and before God. And it was ultimately hypocrisy because he was attempting to be one thing in front of them and a different thing behind the scenes. He, he was trying to gain a profit, but also gain their respect and, and status and approval and a reputation with the apostles. And God dealt with it strongly. We see time and time again, God deals strongly with the sin of hypocrisy. Matthew 24, 51 is an example. Luke 12, 1 is another example Matthew 15, 7. Matthew 22, 18. I don't have time to read all that. I barely had time to list them. Some of you were like, I didn't get any of those. I guess you'll have to read all four gospel accounts later today. Sorry about it. God deals with the sin of hypocrisy very directly. What do we do? What do we make of this? Let's look at one example from Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus was teaching and he, and he told them, he said, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. If you're doing good things in front of people so that they will see you, beware, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. This is the same thing that we're seeing here from Ananias and Sapphira. They're they're bringing their gift before everyone and acting like it's the full amount and trying to lie in order to be seen, in order to be praised. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This is what Jesus taught. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He said, this is the model. This is the model. Put God first. Don't think of your own interests. Wipe, wipe that away. And, and don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just and trust that God will reward you. This is the the hardest thing about this, as I've studied deeper and deeper into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The hardest, the hardest reality is Ananias had the freedom to do what he wanted with his property. He had the freedom. He he didn't have to sell it. And he didn't have to to bring it all. Other people in the church weren't selling their houses and their property. Not everybody did that. We see later in Acts that there were houses owned by people in the church that they met at. they, They had things, but many were led this way in order to meet the needs of those around them. Ananias, even though he was free, he chose to be deceitful. He chose to get more praise from people. He he chose to earn favor with the apostles. I wanna be really clear about this. The lesson here is not give more so that God will be happy with you. The, The lesson here is not Give more so that you don't get struck down. That's not the lesson. Ananias and Sapphira put their interests first and tried to lie about it and get more gain through the process. The lesson here is about putting God first and how when you put God first, that will free you to be generous, it will free you to love, it will free you to to have strength in your unity. Great fear came upon all who heard these things. Great fear, of course, right? Maybe some of you are afraid this morning. Can I tell you that there is a healthy fear of the Lord there's a healthy fear a reverent holy fear when you see and understand how big how strong how mighty how great God is this word here for fear means a solemn sense of the severity and the power of God the severity the power He's not safe, but he's good. There's a healthy fear. There's a reverent fear. Healthy fear of the Lord leads us to see our deep need for his mercy when we see him for who he is and we see how far we are removed from his holiness and his perfection, it drives us in the deepest way to see our need for his mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. You see, we can't see the depth of his love, the depth, the richness, the vastness, until we see the depth of our sin and how much he's willing to forgive. This is a healthy fear, not to keep us paralyzed in fear, worried about God striking us down, but this healthy fear is to liberate us to rest in his grace. This should open up our eyes to the perfect love that we have in Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross, his victorious resurrection from the grave, his pardoning forgiveness of our sins. As we stand here with a solemn sense of the severity and power of God, we find His mercy and grace all the more glorious. If you trusted in Him for salvation today, have you trusted in Him, whether in Gainesville or Oakwood or online? We got people online too. Chris Guthrie, how about me today? Remembering that just everybody that we got here at Riverbend Church. Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation today? If you haven't, repent and believe. See his holiness. See his power see how he deals with sin and recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior and just fall before him asking him to save you and he will The ultimate question today is who's in the first place Who's in the first This is a question of preeminence Who's first The truth is whether you position him there or not doesn't change the reality that this is who he is. Colossians 1 is very clear about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You can have peace today with a God who deals severely with sin because of Jesus and how God dealt with sin severely on him. The punishment that brought him peace is what brings us healing. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. That's what I get for trying to quote Isaiah on my own like that. God is first. Is God first? If we're honest, is he first? When God is in the first place, you give him your first and you do it freely No nobody's twisting your arm today to give. It's it's convicting and it's challenging, but hear me. Nobody is begging or twisting your arm or forcing an obligation on you to give. When when God is first, he leads. And he flows. The root problem with our generosity is not that we need to be more generous. That's not the root. If I looked at you and said, you're not giving enough, I'm missing the root. The root problem is that we have positioned our interests first. We've put ourselves in the first place. We have a whole culture around us teaching us just how to do that. More than anything else, we are controlled by our treasures. That's why Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So be careful, beware. There is no freedom to be found when you are the first priority. But when God is in the first place, He is your treasure and nothing grips your heart like he does. And there is not a freer place to be. Seek his will. Seek his way first and you will always have everything you need. This is about trust. This is about removing yourself from the front and putting God there. Oakwood, we love you. Pastor Mike is there to take it from here. We, we can't wait to see you all next week. We're praying for you and we'll see you real soon. I wonder if we could take some time today as we close. and Really search our hearts. And better than that, allow God to search our hearts. I wonder if we could take some time up here or in your seats. We're going to sing another song and and take a moment. And I finished ahead of my clock. So you got time. We got time. As long as I get done with this part, I'll be ahead of my clock. I wonder if we could take some time. Psalm 139 teaches us to pray Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. would Would you see if there's any wicked way in me? Maybe you need to pray that today. In fact, I would say let's all pray that today. Search me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a scary prayer but he'll answer it. Would you fall before him today in humility and ask him to search you and ask him to lead you? Father God, I pray for everyone in this place that we would be soft and humble in this moment, that you would continue to speak to us. I know it's challenging. I know it's convicting, but I believe that you're here and your kindness leads us to repentance. So God, as I pray right now, I pray that all of us in the room would be allowing you to search our hearts and asking you to lead us in the way everlasting. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.